Don't you feel like you could just go home now? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so good to proclaim who God is and his glory. Well, if we haven't met before, my name is Lisa. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I want to tell you, I just really love the staff that I get to work with. Um, this past Monday, we had our annual crafts. Crafts, why do I say that? It's craft. No, our staff Christmas. Can you say that together? Staff Christmas, staff Christmas, staff It sounds like craft to me. Our staff Christmas party. Um, this is the second year we've had one down in Santana Row. We go out to a restaurant there. But before that, we meet by Blue Bottle and we have a scavenger hunt. And we're divided into teams. And this year I was part of a team called the Candy Canes. There we are. Um, a great, uh, great team. And it's, we have 45 minutes. We're given a list of like 25, 30 things that we're supposed to check off and find that have to do with Christmas, right? So I learned from last year a secret that I remembered, that there's this shop called the Paper Source at the other end of Santana Row that has everything Christmas in it, right? Because there's Christmas cards, there's wrapping paper, there's all kinds of Christmas gifts. So while the other teams are making their way slowly down Santana Row and taking pictures of ornaments on the big trees, I'm like, let's get to Paper Source because they have everything. So our team hustles to paper source, and here's the next slide. Here we are inside, and look at us. We have found all things Christmas. But you know what was just remarkable to me? We probably found 75, 80% of our stuff within like, I don't know, 10 minutes in paper source. We had all this extra time. When we left the store, you know what two things on our list we did not find? We did not find an angel. And we did not find baby Jesus in a manger. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, it's all things Christmas in the store, and we couldn't find baby Jesus, and we couldn't find a manger with baby Jesus in it and an angel. I want to show you um, a word cloud, if you will. It's a, the next slide. And it's really a picture if you were to put like, what are the top 100 words that have to do with Christmas, it all shows up there, right? And, and honestly, unless you think I'm a Scrooge or, you know, the Grinch, Mark and I, we, right, we have our lights outside the house on. In fact, I came home the other night. Seriously, I thought I was at the wrong house. You got this from church, right? Somewhere in a closet, there was like some disco ball thing that he hooked to the outside that made like lights go on like one of our windows. Cool. It's very cool. I almost thought it was at the wrong house. So we have that, you know, we have our Christmas tree up right after Thanksgiving. I have a, a wreath on my door and I have an angel on the top of my Christmas tree. Um, but it was just shocking to me that I could go into a store and not find what the true, in my opinion, meaning of Christmas is. It's about Jesus. I mean, Christmas is spelled Christmas, Christmas, right? Like, so how can you miss it? And yet, we miss it all the time, don't we? It's funny, the words of the angel, which I could not find in paper source at all, that were told to the shepherds over 2,000 years ago, say, for he was coming to bring great news of great joy that would cause great joy to all people. That today in the town of David, a savior was born, the Messiah, the Lord. And he would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That is the Christmas story that I grew up with. But we live in a time, don't we, you guys, 
where Jesus is not in the forefront of not only the, our daily lives often, but Christmas of all times of the year. It's hard enough as Christ followers to keep our focus on Jesus. When we turn on the news, there's war. There seems to be such darkness, such division. It's discouraging. But we have the opportunity to let others see Jesus, actually through us. If you were here last week, Jay started off our series called Down to Earth by reminding us that Jesus came to earth for us. And that if we have chosen to trust him as our savior, he actually lives inside of us. He dwells in us so that his light might shine through us. But left to ourselves, I don't know if I'm very bright. Here's the good news. It doesn't have to be this way. I want to show you another word, cloud. This one, the word at the center, is a word that I think encapsulates the true essence of Christmas. It's not necessarily a word that we associate with a lot with Christmas. It's not on the top 100 words when you bring up Christmas. But I believe it is a word that is at the center of us learning of what it is to live like Jesus. If he dwells in us, I think he wants us to live like him, to show him, to show the world him. And what's that word in the middle that's larger? It's the word humility. I want to take time this morning to linger with that word for us to see that the act of Jesus coming down to earth was an act of unfathomable humility leading us to probably, not even probably, the most humble act in all of history, Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. My hope and my prayer for each one of us as we leave today and head out into these next few weeks of all things Christmas, that humility would become more prominent. Be that Christmas word that stands out a little bit more and that we would be so impacted by the humility we see in Jesus that we would choose to embrace on our behalf humility and that we would live our lives marked by that for his glory and for the good of others. So would you pray with me as we start and open this passage of scripture? Lord, Jesus, Thank you for these next few moments. Lord, may you truly help us to see who you are. Thank you for loving us enough to humble yourself and to come down to earth. We are forever grateful. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible or your flat screen device with you this morning, I'd ask you to pull it out. We're going to um, spend time in a passage that Chris actually already read for us this morning in um, Philippians 2. And it's probably not your go-to Christmas passage. I don't necessarily think of it at Christmas. 
But I tell you what, oh my goodness, does it not capture the essence of Christmas, Jesus's humility. And it will show us how to emulate this humility in our life on a regular basis. So to set this passage up, I want to give you just a brief overview of where we are in Philippians. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and thanking them for their partnership with him in spreading the gospel. Be like Paul coming today and saying, Westgate, great job. Thank you so much for the way that you are spreading the gospel. And the gospel, as we know, is the good news that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus down to earth, being fully God and fully man, to live among his people and to die on the cross for the sins of us and the sins of the world. But then to be raised again and to be able to give us that relationship restored, eternal life with him. This is what the good news back then was. And guess what? This is the good news of what it is today. Paul is reminding the people like you and I that were in Philippi to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Ouch. Well, like, what would that actually look like? Worthy of the gospel, because see, God dwells in us if we've trusted him as our personal Lord and Savior. We're to walk worthy of the gospel. They would need to be one in their attitude and purpose so that they could fulfill God's purpose for them, both individually and also as a church. He stressed that this would require them to be unified, being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, and one mind. How would they practically live this out and whose example might they follow? Well, let me read for you what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. Through eight. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, here's the key, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We're to have the same mindset as Jesus, and it's a mindset of humility. I want to give us a couple definitions before we dive into the passage a little bit more of humility, just to put some skin and bones on what that might look like. There's a great author named John Dixon. Um, he wrote a book called Humilitist, and he says, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. I love that, like forego my status deploy my resources, influence others for their good before myself. 
And then C.S. Lewis, he's so great. He has so many wonderful quotes. This is a very short one. That's why I like this one. I can remember short things better. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So let's dive into verses six, six through eight and unpack what was the mindset of Jesus and how that can help enable us to live today in a manner worthy of the gospel. It says in verse six, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, in the very nature or in God's very form, Jesus, at his essence, was God. Never altered. Can't be anything but. It's God. This describes Jesus' pre-incarnate existence. Jesus did not begin his existence in a manger in Bethlehem. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think of Jesus, I'm like, oh, he started in the manger. Remember? In Bethlehem. No. No, he's God who came down fully God to be with us on earth. Um, he, was trying to, he wasn't trying to achieve equality with the Father. You guys, he already had it, yet he chose not to cling to it. He chose not to use his equality with God for his own advantage. His true nature is not characterized by selfish grabbing, but by an open-handed posture, a posture of giving. So different than sometimes how I want to operate. I'm like, too easy to grab rather than to give. I could just see the conversation almost up in heaven um, with Jesus saying, Jesus the Son saying to God the Father, whatever you need, I'm on it. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. I'm not going to hang on to my deity. I will go if that's what you're asking me to do. You see, it says, it goes on to say, rather he made himself nothing, which in the Greek translates, he emptied himself. Now he didn't empty himself of his nature or his attributes or his deity. On earth, Christ was still fully the second person of the Trinity still 100% God. It's kind of hard to understand, but it's the truth. Fully God, fully God. And it says he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant. Taking does not imply an exchange, but an addition. So he didn't exchange being fully God for being fully man. No, he added on to being fully God, fully man. It wasn't a losing, but it was actually a taking. And of all the things that he could have chosen to take on and add to his deity, he chose the nature of a servant. The word servant, bond servant, slave, is described as a person who owns nothing. Everything he had, including his life, belonged to his master. This verse tells us the first way Jesus emptied himself was to strip himself of all rights. Jesus didn't own a house or land. He didn't have any gold or jewels. He didn't have his own business. 
He didn't have a boat or a horse. He had to borrow a donkey when he rode into Jerusalem on his triumphant entry. He had to borrow a room for the Last Supper. He even had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus entered human life as a baby at Christmas without advantage, without rights, and without privilege, by choice. He was the creator, the only king, but he lived as a servant. He was the owner of everything, but he owned nothing. The one who made everything, yet left everything behind for you and for me. All of the authority and the power available to him as fully God became a channel of giving rather than a conduit of getting. Wow. The second way Jesus emptied himself was by being made in human likeness. Jesus wasn't pretending to be human. He was fully God and fully man. Humanity was added to deity, resulting in Jesus becoming the only God-man. And as a true man, Jesus could suffer in our place. And he did. As a true man, Jesus can sympathize with our struggles, with our pain. And he does. The third way Jesus emptied himself, we find in the first part of verse 8, where it says, and he being found in the appearance as a man. Jesus looked like any other man at that time. He was born in a stable. He was a baby. He acted like a baby. There was no aura that indicated his unique divine status as God or a member of the Trinity. In fact, as he grew older, there was rather poverty, frailty, unpopularity, and much rejection. Although it is clear that Jesus was found in the appearance of a man, let's not forget how he's actually different, though. He was sinless. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Though tempted beyond any way that we have ever experienced, Christ never did sin because he couldn't. He was fully God and fully man. And then second of all, the way he was very different is that he was God, eternal God, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful, sovereign God. He chose to veil his glory and rather clothe himself in humility. Who does that? Jesus. Scripture goes on to say that being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We see possibly the most beautiful blend of Jesus' deity and his humility and humanity on display 
when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he'll be arrested and crucified. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, the human side, if there is any other way, right? Fully human. How often do we, if there's any other way, God, it's being fully human. But then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Deity. There is no other way. I will come down to earth and die. Jesus humbled himself. I want to take a minute to paint a broader picture of how this actually looked. So just listen as I read kind of how it played itself out in Jesus' life. It said he, he was humble and that he took the form of a man and not a more glorious creature like an angel. He was humble in that he was born in an obscure and oppressed place. He was humble in that he was born into poverty among a despised people. He was humble in that he was born as a child instead of appearing as a man. He was humble in submitting to the obedience appropriate to a child in a household. Have you ever thought about what was Jesus' life between when he was born and he was like 12? He had a mom and dad. He obeyed his mom and dad. He did what they said. He had chores. Humility. He was humble in learning and practicing a trade and a humble trade as a builder. He was humble in the long wait until he launched his public ministry. He was humble in the companions and disciples he chose. He didn't look for the CEO. He looked for the fisherman, the tax collector. He was humble in the audience he appeared to, appeared to and the way that he taught. He wasn't in the big stadiums. No, he was on the hillside with the average you and I type of person. He was humble in the temptations he was allowed and endured. He was humble in the weakness, in the hunger, in the thirst and tiredness that he endured. He was humble in total obedience to his heavenly father. He was humble in his submission to the Holy Spirit. He was humble in choosing and submitting to death on a cross. He was humble in the agony of his death. He was humble in the shame, in the mocking, and public humiliation of that death. And he was humble in enduring the spiritual agony of his sacrifice on that cross. Sit with that for a minute. That is humility. This is the picture of Jesus coming down to earth. At Christmas, a picture of humility and obedience. So what does this look like for you and for me today? How do we have this same mindset of Christ 
a mindset of humility and obedience as we enter into this season of Advent and beyond? How can we live out Christ-like humility on a daily basis? I believe it starts first and foremost with awareness. A consideration, if you will. A conscious effort to stop often and examine our motives and surrender our hearts to God. Remember that Paul in Philippians 2 said, do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. It says do nothing. We actually have a choice. We have a choice. If we're honest, I know for me in our culture, it's easy to get caught up with what our achievements are, maybe a promotion, recognition, status, and we can easily start thinking way, way, way too highly of ourselves. We can become preoccupied with ourselves and our needs and rarely stop to think of the needs of others. This, my friends, is called vain glory, pride. May we not forget that Jesus chose to veil his glory when he came to earth, being fully God and fully man. Oh, that we may look more like him. What is the remedy for pride? It is humility. Matthew 23, 11 says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Paul goes on to say in verse 4 that having this mindset of Christ is not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Remember, Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. So this last week I've been sitting with some questions knowing I was teaching on this, you know, one of the benefits. <laughs> Sometimes it feels way heavy, but of teaching is you get lots of time to contemplate and to think about the passage that you're bringing. And I couldn't help but ask myself a few questions when it comes to what it looks like to empty myself and to be as a servant. Do I more often look to be served or to serve other people? Am I going through the motions of service or am I becoming a servant? Do I see myself as being above certain tasks or am I willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done? And then am I willing to forego my status, deploy my resources, or use my influence for the good of others before myself? 1 Peter 5, 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. What would it look like for you and to me and for me to clothe ourselves in humility? To literally put on humility every day. 
Well, I ran across in that book, Humilitus, by John Dixon, who was the gentleman who um, gave us our definition of humility, a wonderful story that I think helps us to see what it's like to put on humility. He tells the story of three kind of little hoodlum guys in the 1930s that hopped on a bus and saw a man alone in the back of the bus. And they went back there and started bothering him. They wanted to pick a fight. They started insulting him. But the man wouldn't respond. Like he just, he didn't let it bother him. They turned up the heat with even more insults. But he said nothing. Eventually, the stranger stood up. And, and to these three guys' surprise, this guy was a big guy. He didn't look quite as big until he stood up. And he reached into his pockets and he pulled out a business card. And he handed it to the guys when the bus stopped, got off the bus, and walked on his way. As the bus drove on, the young men gathered on the bus, and they pulled out the card, and on the card wrote the words, Joe Lewis, boxer. They had just tried to pick a fight with a man who would be the heavyweight champion of the world from 1937 to 1949, the number one boxer of all times behind Muhammad Ali. They apparently said of, of Lewis that he could knock out a horse with one punch. There is a man of immense power and skill, capable of defending his honor in a single blow, a devastating blow actually. Yet he chose to forego his status and hold his power for others. In this case, for three very fortunate little hoodlum guys. This was humility put on. Oh, how much more Jesus chose to forego his status and hold his power for others. For you and for me, he clothed himself in humility by coming down to earth, choosing to veil his glory and be born as a baby in a lowly manger. The King of kings and the Lord of lords loves us that much. Oh, might we live to honor him by having the same mind as Jesus Christ, one of considering, one of emptying, and one of walking in humility for the love of others. I've intentionally just carved out a couple of minutes where I'm gonna ask that you guys just think through three questions um, that I think will help you and help me as we consider this whole idea of humility in this season. Guys, if you'll just put the house lights down a bit um, and thank you guys for being up here and just playing behind us, but just this is your opportunity um, just to have a conversation with God, to ask the question, who or what? God, might you be asking me to give more consideration to? God, in the season of Advent, what do I need to do to empty myself, to make room for others and meeting their needs? 
And how might walking in Christ-like humility look as I head into this week? You'll notice there's a, a prayer under each one. Feel free to use that prayer to kind of contemplate with God yourself or just have a conversation yourself. But I'm gonna give you just a couple minutes, um, just in the quietness of this moment to consider God in this season of Advent. What do you want me to consider? How might you want me to empty myself? And how does humility look this week? And I'll come back up and pray in just a few minutes. with hearts of great gratitude that we come this morning. Thank you for considering us. Thank you for emptying yourself of your full deity, being fully de deity, but also God being fully man, of adding on what it is to be human onto yourself. And in doing that, being able to in all humility be born, live, and walk the way to the cross, to die for our sins, God, so that we might live freely with you. Thank you for that love. God, may we learn to walk in humility by your example, God, give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity today and tomorrow. May we be highly aware of what it is to have the mind of Christ and may we be obedient to walk into the things that you show us, that we might serve the people that you put in front of us. 
Lord, may we love like you loved. In Jesus' name.